0: J.B. Knowledge Podcast Network. On episode 90 of the Insure Tech Geek Podcast, talking about innovating insurance with Nirain Chauhan from Zurich, North America. The Insure Tech Geek Podcast powered by J.B. Knowledge is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific tech we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. Welcome to the InsurTech Geek Podcast. I'm your host, James Benham. Today is the first day of our new podcast format, which includes moving to bi-weekly episodes instead of weekly and inviting a new category of experts and thought leaders onto the show. Our next series of guests include executives from top tier insurance carriers, brokers, and TPAs to learn how they're harnessing the power of AI, machine learning, automation, and more to supercharge their company's growth. As always, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Uh, before we get started with our discussion remember that you can subscribe to the insuretech geek podcast by texting geek out that's g e e k o u t geek out to six six eight six six make sure you never miss an episode and on to our guest that is nirain chauhan from zurich North America Nirain how's it going buddy
1: it's going great thank you thank you for having me and um I look forward to the conversation today
0: yeah awesome and I hear that uh you and i are both up in the cool breezy midwest right now not in the sweltering south uh like uh like mr rob there so you're over in chicago right
1: that's correct um been here for about a decade and a half so this is second home grew up in india and then uh came here to go to school and then fell in love with the place and yeah summer is the beautiful time it, it reminds you why you live in chicago now if you spoke to me yeah if you spoke to me in in february or march i probably would say i don't like it as much
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it, it i i say that the summers carry you through the brutal hard winters um it's uh it's tough you know i married a girl from michigan near rain and so that's why i live up in michigan in june july and august uh I like to come up here and escape the sweltering heat of the south we have with us rob galbraith rob how's it going
2: I am currently in the Sfaulting South uh at home in the studio <laughs> in uh San Antonio, Texas. And uh I was talking to Nyan right before we uh went on air about the number of hundred degree days, which have far surpassed anything we had last year. It's it's been a pretty brutal summer already. Uh not looking yeah. forward to the rest of it here.
0: Yeah, it was uh the last time it was this hot in Texas was two thousand eleven. Uh, that was the first year I started coming up to Michigan. I was escaping a uh, seventy straight days of a hundred plus temp- temperatures. and uh, Nirain, it's the winters that remind us why we endure the summers in Texas. It's the opposite. So uh, you know the the only place where you don't have to do that for yourself is Southern California because it's seventy two and sunny all the time. That's right, but uh, <laughs> but but that's all good. yeah so so near rain, it's good to have you on. Um, you did uh, grow up in India. Uh, you got your MBA from the University of Chicago, from the Booth School of Business, and then it looks like you stuck around uh, the old Chicago afterwards. Um, when you were growing up in India, uh, what, what is it that you wanted to do as a kid?
1: That's a great question. I, I think um, if you ask any kid in India, there is two things that, that kind of get people going there, either the Bollywood movies or cricket. Yeah. And I uh, indulged in both as a kid. Uh, but no, growing up, I, I think we um, grew up in uh, fairly modest circumstances. And my dad taught at a university for three decades. So education was really important. It was also the the short, short way of you know coming out of those modest situations and building a life for yourself and, and the future generations. So I uh, chose to become an engineer, which was also a way to, um, you know, make sure that, you, you are employable and and you have a growth path for you and a long runway for for life. Uh, but also i I was very interested in in physics um from the very young age. Uh, and it started with you know playing ball on the streets, but then carried on um, through college uh, as I owned and got trained in mechanical engineering. Uh, and then I built cars for a couple of years. I designed seating systems for Ford Motor Company um, in my very early career. Uh, and that's where I think, um, you know, from my life story of you know learning to do more with less and then kind of working on the shop floor and in the automotive industry, that was my initial grounding in this notion of innovation mm. you know how how do you you know start to think about how do I do it better tomorrow and what will it take within the same means to do do more tomorrow so yeah, that's where I got started, and then over last. Two decades. I think I've been very fortunate to have traveled to, or lived in, or worked in more than two dozen countries across across the world, um, different continents. Awesome.
0: Well, y- you could argue that Sachin Tendulkar was very innovative in his uh, his bat skills in cricket. You could say the same about Virat Kohli or Sunil Gavaskar. I mean, you know, th- th- there's a lot of innovation in cricket. But I'm excited that you chose. The field of business and engineering, I uh, I've had a, a, a lot of a lot of friends from India who have introduced me to cricket over the over the years and uh, fascinating game. But I, I got to tell you, Niran, I, 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 Niran, I'm a Cubs fan, like a hardcore Cubs fan yeah and i think that a two and a half to three hour game is long i can't wrap my head around the all-day
1: cricket match thing man that's right that's right so number one i'm <laughs> impressed with your uh with the familiarity with some of the biggest stars of the game um but the the longest version of the game is five days five days yeah so you come you start playing in the morning you take a break for tea play again for a couple hours you have lunch and then uh you play in the afternoon so yeah um <laughs> It it, it it can go on for a long time. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of the much shortened format. So uh, so let's 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 jump
0: in now that we know your background. It's so great to get to know you, and I'm excited that uh, that you had such an interesting path, uh, both geographically. I think that's really interesting kind of the, the the geographic diversity of your your professional background as well as the industry diversity can make you very effective. So you're now the Chief Strategy Innovation and Business Development Officer uh for Zurich. Um what was it that brought you to that position? You you, you explained how your 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 role through the manufacturing room floor, but what led to this current position?
1: Yeah. You know, after the, the initial years of you know spending time on the floor and, and learning to uh, build cars and design cars, I moved on to operations and I spent a bunch of time in risk, technology risk and operational risk at KPMG. And that's when I started traveling the world. And having done that for about five years, I realized that most of that experience was east of GMT. I'd spent a bunch of time in China, Eastern Europe. All over the place in India, so I came all the way to the West to go to U Chicago for my MBA, and then I spent a few years at uh, at McKinsey. Um, which again gave me a flavor for various industries, various topics. But most importantly, uh, I'd say that there's a couple of things that I picked up from all of that five years at KPMG and then another five or six years at McKinsey. You start to hone in that instinct or that skill for understanding and almost predicting what will work. And I think that to me is a a huge ingredient in in how you think about innovation. Um, And we'll talk about it a little bit more as, as we go. But, you know, to answer your question, around my journey at the time I was leaving McKinsey, I had a number of different opportunities, but I I've always followed people, and um, insurance um, was not kind of the plan. But I'm glad I I went towards it. Um, I spent a number of years in personal lines uh, in a very uh, customer centric environment at Allstate, and as I uh, was kind of reflecting on my journey over the last couple of years and the switch I made over to Zurich. A huge part of that was my desire to have an impact in commercial um, space. Um, So, you know, if you think about the, the changes and the innovation that has happened in the financial services, I think banks started first retail banking kind of had to innovate uh, as people stopped coming to the branches and they were very expensive they had to figure out a new model and direct banking started um, uh, the whole revolution in how people interacted with money on their apps personal lines insurance followed suit um, driven by you know a couple of companies who were trying to give you a number of options in 15 minutes uh, which were much better than whatever you had but if you think about commercial insurance it is still kind of rooted in how things have worked in the past things are changing there are multiple what i call injections of fresh blood in the system across the value chain and individual problems are getting solved today with the use of technology and data but across the value chain there is still huge huge scope for innovation and change that needs to happen and and to me i think the flavor of that change uh, number 1 is it has to be customer centric now sometimes you'll hear from commercial uh, insurance industry that you know our customers are large companies and you know they they have different needs than individual customers true but at the same time this notion of customer centricity is hugely important Uh, In in my mind, that will drive and will lead to a bunch of changes in the overall value chain. The the other uh, kind of customer, in a way you could define it, is the broker population or the intermediaries through which you sell. Um, in commercial space. There is, in my personal opinion, there is a lot of duplication between what brokers are trying to do and what carriers are trying to do for the customer. So that is another huge opportunity um, for innovation or change in this industry. And as I reflected on some of the opportunities, I, I thought, how cool would it be for me to have been in the in the midst of a lot of changes in personal lines and retail banking, then bring some of those learnings and lead the change in commercial space. Uh, This opportunity came along. I thought it was very timely and Zurich is a, a fantastic institution. Innovation is not something that we just talk about. It is, you know, part of the bloodstream and a lot of the business decisions and the way investment decisions are made, innovation is a core part of it. And that's kind of what excited me to take this role.
0: Awesome that makes a ton of sense and certainly it's what uh, really geeks me out about getting involved in this industry too. Rob.
1: So rain, I mean,
2: talking to a senior executive such as yourself right that's responsible for strategy and innovation. I know before I got into to formally leading innovation efforts, I think I had a lot of uh, pictures about strategy, innovation like a lot of uh sitting around a whiteboard all day pontificating, you know, drawing different designs, ideation and I think that's a Uh, something that uh, a lot of people really enjoy can certainly be effective as a team building exercise, but uh, the reality, the day-to-day of uh, innovation, I think is a very different reality. So, um, and particularly one that, you know, if you want to actually get to implementation, you want to be, you know, moving the business forward, right? There's a a lot more that goes to it. So perhaps you could just um, for our listeners, walk them through what a week in your life looks like.
1: Yeah. uh, So so that's um, that's a very good and very interesting question. Um, let me take a step sideways and it, just spend maybe a minute on this notion of kind of the the way you innovate and and the the way the world goes. I, I think there is two sides of this coin in my mind. One part of the the whole story is how do you have a vision for where the world could go. And those are what I call the shiny objects on the tree and you want to have a limited number of those rooted in what is happening around in the world and and where ultimately the customer is going, whether it's an institutional customer or an individual customer. And then the other side of that coin is um, of those ideas, how do you figure out the art of the possible and figure out what will work today that you can launch, test. And then if it is working and delivering value for the customer, you are able to scale it up, which is where a lot of the frontline innovation comes into play. Um, So, you know, as you try and balance both of those, which which I try to do in my day-to-day job, um, there is a few, um, what I call the core ingredients um, um, to kind of this recipe. One is you've got to be leveraging and learning from and looking at industries which are not only insurance an insurance industry particularly tends to be slightly more insulated than some other industries but what has happened in last um, several years as technology has become cheaper and easily deployable in in different situations that customers now have one definition of the ideal customer experience And again, whether they are individual or institutional customers, and then they are not comparing insurance companies with insurance or banks with banks. Everyone wants a click button, Amazon type experience or Netflix type experience in everything that they do. Being aware of where the customer preferences are and what is happening inside and outside of the insurance industry is a huge part of my week every week the second part then is um, understanding customers more deeply and especially you know in this role that i'm in understanding institutional customers is is really important the whole kind of space of risk is evolving every day you have you know pandemics you have supply chain disruptions war and peace uh, cyber is um, emerging every day and then climate risk you know everyone is starting to make commitments but still there are a lot of unknowns in how the world will transition to that future and all of that path is kind of paved with with varieties of risks so in that space the other huge part of my week goes into constantly trying to understand What are the challenges for the customers, uh, institutional customers in in this role? And then how could we meet those challenges or uh, be a partner in solving some of those problems? Now, one slight qualification there. I truly believe that what a lot of companies have tried to do in this industry in the past is try and solve these problems on their own. I think the future will likely look different. So uh, another big part of my week goes into understanding if I know a certain problem, And if I'm talking to people to understand it better, who can I partner with to further define? And how do I understand where I don't need to reinvent the wheel versus where you need a fundamental solution to a certain problem? So, kind of developing that network, understanding the role of the whole ecosystem, and constantly searching for partnerships where you don't have to reinvent the wheel is another big part of my week. The third part of my week goes into ultimately, you know, all of these ideas. um, If I go back to my the beginning of this. this part of the conversation, This, these are the shiny objects. Now you have to think about the realities of the business and the BU leaders or people who are running the businesses. I spend a ton of time with them, with their teams, which helps me understand the opportunities and constraints. It helps me understand their own priority order in which they are trying to solve the problem. And across a very large and matrixed and complex organization like Zurich, it, it allows me to understand of the 30 things that are on the radar all the time, which three things should I be thinking about next week or next month or next quarter? And to me, that whole element of simplification is really important to say, how do you prioritize and where do you stay focused? And then the last part, shouldn't be a surprise, um, is my team. Um, uh, and that's where probably 30, 40% of my time goes every week. Just making sure I'm opening the doors for the team. I'm providing the resources, the coaching, the guidance, helping teams solve problems, removing barriers for them that, that need to be removed. And having some fun along the way. Um, so we we make sure that we have some time to to do nothing, uh, just reflect on what's going on and, and also connect with each other, which I think has been slightly harder with the pandemic. Um, but with the, the things starting to open up now and uh, the weather permitting, we're spending a lot more time outdoors, for example, um, almost every week to just reconnect and recharge. So that's kind of my typical week.
0: Yeah, I uh, had an interesting article that I read recently. I've long been an inbox zero advocate, and I, and I do. I I I eliminate my inbox every day and keep it at zero. Keeps my head clear. But I saw a great article on calendar zero, and that is, uh, you know, killing killing the meetings and having empty space where you do nothing, so that you can actually fill it with your creative time and actually think and. Uh, you know, call people that you've been meaning to reach out to or spend, you know, un- unplanned, unscheduled free time. It's actually really, I have found it for myself to be very unhealthy to have a constant stream of meetings with no breaks. Um, it does not give me time to actually work on on top of the business rather than in the business. And so uh, I, I love that you're uh, you're pushing for time to do that. What are some of the the innovation projects that you've been leading that really geek you out?
1: Yeah so with your permission let me broaden that a little bit let me also talk a little bit about things that really excite me that are happening today and then within that I'll talk about a couple of things that we are also trying to do you know as i was saying that you know, technology is becoming cheaper and much more easily deployable and that is opening so many doors with with what is happening but overall if you if you look at you know what is happening in the the space of insurance, I think um, this notion that that has traditionally existed of asymmetry of information between a carrier and a customer is slowly going away. And I think the, the whole notion of you can go online and you can customize your solution and you can buy it yourself was a huge step in that direction. But that was only one step, you know, as as that whole concept broadens, that is the space that excites me a lot, where using data and then ability to process data and then digitally present data uh, you know with some insights for for empowering the end consumer to to manage their risk is a very very exciting space overall and we've all seen kind of uh, you know how far we've come literally in last five years now you can buy car insurance by the hour and and that to me i i think the hyper personalization using that technology is is going to be a a huge driver of change in the whole industry and when i talk about industry i'm talking about you know property casualty health life everything you know there are newer business models every day like there is you know companies like which are focused on splitting you know If you're sharing apartments with other people you can split the liability coverage and and you can all pay your share there are companies which are very very customer segment focused um like for example you know there are there are business models which are focused on women drivers who tend to have a certain risk profile and and then you ask the question to say should they have different kind of rate profile as well um, for their risk so there are companies which are catering to that sort of a thing so I think one theme overall that that I find very exciting is the theme of leveraging data and technology to continue to chip away on that information asymmetry and hyper-personalize the solutions for for the consumer. And then I think the the other space that I I think is, is very exciting, although underexplored right now, is the telematics overall. Is it being used? Yes. Uh, is it starting to change the game? Yes. Is there huge potential in what this thing could do? Absolutely, yes. And in the, in the personal lines, I think there is enough use cases to say, you know, that the whole concept works. But, you know, wearables in health and life still um very early stages there is so much more ground to cover there and then if you think about internet of things for example which in in some ways is the commercial equivalent of telematics in your car it took off as a concept many years ago but did not take off because there were not 5g waves to carry that that data in a very fast and seamless way now as 5g is opening up the waves again i have a feeling that uh, internet of things will again become kind of more accessible cheaper faster more efficient and hopefully there will be more use cases um and you know since the last time people were excited about this thing the information processing power and and the cost to do that has also come down significantly um so so that's another area and and i think if you think about those two things oh the third one i'll add um is uh, this whole area of sustainability this notion of how do we transition as a world Individuals and institutional uh, customers to that future of zero carbon emissions or carbon neutral or whatever language we want to use. Um, there is a ton of innovation happening in all of these three areas. As a company, we are we are involved in all of those areas as well. Um, So a couple of projects that we have are around sustainability, which is a huge focus area of Zurich in North America and globally as well. So we're working with um, with different companies. In fact, what we do every year is uh, we organize what we call Zurich Innovation Championship. Across the globe, we invite different startups um, and established companies to come together, present their idea, and then we provide the platform for them to scale that within the Zurich ecosystem globally. We Within North America, we looked at about 700 companies in the first quarter of this year. Uh, we selected a handful. We are working with a couple. All of them are in the sustainability space, and there is a couple other in, in other customer experience and that whole notion of data analytics space as well. So those are some of the things that we're looking at. Very
2: good. Rob? Niran, I'm going to put you on the spot. What has been your favorite innovation in the insurance
1: industry and why? Yeah, I I think to me, this notion of hyper-personalization has been kind of my favorite. And what I also um, am watching very closely is uh, how some of the newer entrants are able to build things grounds up without the constraints of legacy technology. You know, again, going back to the notion of, you know, customer experience and how customers want to interact. A lot of the times I, I just don't even want to open my iPad or even my laptop. So how do you and there are companies which are essentially they've built their product around the form factor of an iPhone and everything is very, very simple to execute and very, very uh, easy to work with. Those types of things in that hyper personalization mode is can, kind of what I'm most excited about. You know, Go Girl is one of those business models I was talking about earlier. Um, Split Insurance is another one. Um, Pay as you go, um, you know, pay by the mile, pay by the hour. Those are some of my uh, favorite innovations uh, uh, more recently. And I I think the reason I like them is it it is kind of challenging that notion. It it happens so often. It is something that uh, is a pet peeve for me. uh, When you go to meetings and people say, hey, this is what the customers want. And people have those, you know, pronouncements and they do some research. I fundamentally believe that it is really hard to slice and dice customer population by demographics or other behavioral data and say this segment will always behave in a certain way. So the companies or the solutions that are much more dynamic in nature, which weave the world around a customer to present different options and solutions to them. Those are the exciting innovations to me. Um, again, retail banking has proven it before. So it, it's not like we are reinventing the wheel. But this notion of omni-channel, um, like you, you take a dollar out of your bank account and you have your website, your mobile app, and you're standing in a branch, all three things open at the same time, instantaneously. The transaction will reflect all across the board. Good luck trying that with the, your insurance payment, even today, with all the technology. yeah, so those are the things that to me are um, really exciting, making it easy for people, and then uh, there's one more thing you know, and you could almost say that that's kind of the future where I, I see uh, things probably will go, which is another um, very interesting area to me, is this convergence of health, wealth, and risk. And the reason I mentioned that in the stream is that as you think about presenting and surrounding the customer with what they need to choose and how. When I think about the risk while I'm driving a car or my life insurance or how much money do I have when I retire or how do I think about my health, my accident coverage, they all are one flavor of decisions. But today I have to deal with six different companies and 30 different agents and 40 different websites and apps. How do we solve that problem for the customer? And I, I feel like in future that convergence will will continue to grow.
0: Yeah, that's great, great, uh, great thoughts, and thank you for that. Let's uh, let's wrap with this last uh, that last comment on. You've mentioned a lot of technologies that are now tech, right? Like you've you've talked about things that are actually available now, being done right now. So it's hard to say that's uh, that's that's it, a great quote I love, uh, the future is now, it's just not evenly distributed. Like the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed. So there's there's a lot of companies leveraging what you're discussing, and there's a lot of companies who are not. I, I would say like the whole market is kind of bifurcated into, you know, very traditional companies that are, are doing very little experimentation and companies that are doing a whole lot of experimentation. What do you think is next? I always like, I always like ending talking about the future. I'm a big Star Trek fan. I'm a huge fan of science fiction. I, I love thinking about uh, what's next. You know, Star Trek Discovery is really big on uh, programmable material that that automatically rearranges itself, and you know, start start. I mean, there's a lot of really cool things in all the new Star Trek series. By the way, there's like three in production right now, which is just crazy for a Star Trek fan to get excited about. So let's just get a little science fictiony and think about, okay, beyond what's currently available on the market, w- what, what do you think is poised to be really big
1: yeah. next? So now we're getting into outside of my role and personally, what I think about where things could go. And this will be, I'll totally, um, kind of follow your lead and make it science fictionally. So I, I don't know if it'll happen or not, but I, I have a feeling it, it might go that route. It, let me just build off of what you were saying and, and I'll use that framing to answer the question. So if you think about some of the, the new age insurance companies, uh, there is a couple of features to to those companies that I, I see commonly. So number one, they're very, very customer centric. Number two, they're using latest technology unconstrained by the legacy systems that other Uh, established incumbents have to deal with all day long but number three they they also have a feature that um, a couple of features Um, they are mostly single product companies and they're mostly direct to consumer Now, first two things, first two observations are more of an advantage. The second two, you've got to take it with a pinch of salt to say, you know, it's easier to prove a business case or a business model with one product in three markets in a very limited way. But ultimately, uh, if you think about the customer in that convergence that I talked about, you want larger scale. You want to be able to prove that repeatedly in different parts of the value chain, and that is still something that we are not doing today and then there, there is this notion of um you know if you look at the um the larger established incumbents they they find it harder to invest in actually i should say differently the expectation of return on investment when it comes to innovation is very different in in larger established companies now it, it may vary depending on what your um, ownership structure is you know owned by the street versus, you know, mutuals and and privately owned. But broadly, people work with the business plan for next year and the year after in sight, and there is limited appetite to fail. Now, the good thing going for those larger incumbents is the understanding of the market, stronger financial stability, relationships with the regulators, um, which is very important in this business. So ultimately, to me, I I think the, the, the answer is, how do we leverage this complementarity? And instead of thinking about, you know, you're eating into my share and I'm kind of going to take away your share, how do we focus on customer to say the whole world, institutional as well as individual customers are underprotected and the risk is changing every day? How do we collaborate to increase the size of the pie and everyone wins? And if a, you can solve a problem better than I can, let's shake hands and do it for the customer together. And in the science fiction way to kind of end it on that note from my end, I think that convergence that I talk about will be supported by more and more data sharing across platforms. If everyone is trying to solve for a customer in in one unique way, uh, it is still fragmented for the customer. So that would be the future I'd love to see, um, similar to credit bureaus that everyone goes to one place to figure out all the data and then you say based on that here are my solutions for you
0: yeah and and what a great thought because we've experienced what's that what that's like uh in the in the area of financial services just not insurance services and we have a glimpse of what it, like insurance and and risk verification looks like in auto insurance but not in the other lines right like there's there are these little glimpses that we see of what the what the new world could look like. Of course, if you go super uh, Star Trekky, I, I remember like one of the episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation that blew my mind. This is when uh, a guy from the a travel, a time traveler, came and was talking to Jean Luc Picard, and and uh, he goes, "Well, how do you guys make money?" And Jean Luc looked at him and goes, "Oh, we, we stopped using money decades ago." you know, centuries ago, we don't, we don't use money. And and it was, it was so interesting. Like, you know, the accumulation of wealth ceased to be a a driver in our society when everybody had plentiful access to everything. It was, it was, it was fascinating because he was talking about, you know, he was really talking about molecular 3d printing and replicators. And, but it was, it, it, it challenges some very fundamental premises of like, what if we didn't, in this case, let's, let's put it in context that you put it. What if we didn't, have to silo all the data on a risk what if we could actually have common data sets what, what if we had a, what, what if we had a single blockchain for all properties? what if we had a you know there, there are the technologies now exist for us to actually pull it off it just requires willpower and innovation so it's a, it's an ex, it's an exciting future for sure Coding, I think I've already seen this as a as a longtime software developer in the insurance business we write far far less actual lines of code than we used to to accomplish our objectives. And I think we're moving to a world where we can execute um, technology projects uh, far faster than we ever have in the past, and so that's probably what geeks me out the most. Well, that's uh that is our time today. Um, Rob, any closing comments? Yeah,
2: it was just fantastic to have you on the range and to hear your perspective. Um, you've got me really excited about kind of what the future holds. I know it can be a, a challenge. Uh, you know, I'm sure you have that experience of two steps forward, one step back, and you know, then you always kind of have your setbacks or you have a lesson learned doesn't go quite the way that you thought as you're testing something out. But um, you no, know, you've got me fired up. Uh, about uh, where we're going and uh, what lies ahead.
1: Absolutely. Um, No, thank you for the conversation. I am a hardcore optimist and I am always a glass half full kind of a person. So honestly, things that don't work, um, it's so amazing that they fall off my radar pretty quickly. Now they can come back um, next month because now I'm thinking about it with a new flavor. But in general, I'm very, very optimistic. uh, And I think um, there's a ton of good that is ahead of us in this space.
0: It's one of the most abundant times to be alive ever in human history. Uh, Peter Diamandis does a great job of laying out the case for abundance theory and why we should be excited about the present and the future and uh, what it holds for us. Uh, as as my uh, uh, as my daughter Noelle and I say, let's be an optimist, not be a pessimist. Let's look at the bright side. Right. <laughs> so that's uh, it's uh, it's uh, there's always a case for optimism. I think even in even in difficult times. So uh, thank you so much, uh, Nirain Chauhan. So good having you on. Enjoyed our conversation, and uh, here's to you being the Rahul Dravid or uh, the uh, the Sunil Gavaskar of the uh, of InsureTech. Right, uh, you, you may have wanted to be a cricket star when you're you were young, but you're gonna be a you're gonna be an InsureTech star uh, of your own right. And so we uh, <laughs> we appreciate it and remember, uh, Nirain, the largest cricket complex in the United States of America is 40 minutes from my house in in Northwest Houston, only a 45-minute drive from College Station. So if you ever want to see the United States' largest cricket complex, I welcome you to the uh, Houston, Texas area.
1: (laughs) I might just take you up on that, but no, uh, thank you.
0: (laughs) Awesome. All right, and this has been another episode of the InsureTech Geek Podcast. A big thanks to Nireen Chauhan for joining us today. This has been the InsureTech Geek Podcast podcast uh, powered by JB Knowledge. That's jbknowledge.com. It's all about transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com with co-host Rob Galbraith. That's endofinsurance.com. Big thanks to Jim Greenley, our podcast producer, Kara Dalton-Alaro, our creative producer, and thank you for joining us today. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time.